Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from Psalm 119, beginning at verse 65. That's uh, page 706 in the Pew Bible, page 706, Psalm 119, verse 65, reading through verse 72. Psalm 119, verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. As far as the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, Psalm 119, as probably most of you may know, is the longest psalm in the Bible. It is uh, uh, also unique in that it is, well, I I don't think it is unique. I think there are other psalms as well that are, are, it's an acrostic, that is that it uh, begins, it follows the Hebrew alphabet. It's, uh, there's one devoted to each letter in the alphabet, and the letters are taken in alphabetical order, and uh, in each section, every line begins with that uh, designated letter of the alphabet. So the first section begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the second section, each line begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so forth. Those uh, letters are uh, inserted uh, in the text there to tell you which letter it is. And uh, the theme of the psalm, of course, is in praise of the law of God, singing the virtues of the law of God. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of silver and gold. You know, Uh, it's uh, he's praising God for his law. And by law, he doesn't mean just the Ten Commandments but uh, all of God's revelation, because everything that God tells us uh, has implications for how you and I ought to live. All the attributes of God have implications for how we ought to live. All the actions of God have implications for how we ought to live. And so uh, his law is his entire revelation of who he is and what he has done. And uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119 uh, spends the whole psalm saying how wonderful this is, how beneficial it is, uh, how he delights in it, and how we ought to delight in it as well. And one of the things that he delights in is that God has been good to him. And he makes this confession in uh, verse 68, you are good and do good. You are good and you do good. I want to focus our attention on just those few words tonight. You are good and you do good, or God is good and God does good. Because I think this would be a good confession for us to uh, take to ourselves, something we ought to say to ourselves again and again as we uh, 
remember things that have happened to us in the past, and as we anticipate things happening to us in the future, it is good for us to always say, God is good, and God does good. Well, what do these words mean? Let's, let's take a look at them uh, and look first at that, that first statement, God is good. The Bible is clear about this. It, it says it over and over and over again. Psalm 25, verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 86, verse 5, For you, O Lord, are good. Psalm 100, verse 5, the Lord is good. Throughout the Psalms, we uh, praise God and we thank God for his goodness, such as Psalm 106, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 107, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Between Psalm 107, Psalm 118, and 100, Psalm 136, that, that line is repeated nine different times. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Psalm 135, verse 3 says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. He's all good. You know, in the Bible, uh, goodness and light, or light is a metaphor for goodness, and uh, darkness a metaphor for evil. And 1 John 1, verse 5 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We could uh, take that metaphor and make it more literal and say God is good, and in him is no bad at all. Uh, Psalm 145, verse 9, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He's very good. His goodness extends to all his attributes. He's infinitely good, meaning there's no limit to his goodness. He's eternally good because he has always been good. He's immutably good because he will always be good. He will never change from being good. He's perfectly good. There's no sometimes God is good and sometimes God is better and sometimes God is at his best. No, he's, he's always good, always perfectly good, immutably good, eternally good, and infinitely good. All this means is that, that God can't be anything other than good. But now what exactly does the word good mean when it applies to God? You know, the word is often used in the Bible to apply to people, and when it's applied to people, it usually means that they are morally good. And uh, it uh, certainly means that as well when applied to God, but but not in exactly the same way. Uh, morally good people are people who measure up to God's law. God sets the standards and we either measure up to God's standard or we fall short of God's standard. Either we are good because we measure up or we're not good because we fall short. But there is no standard above God to which God must measure up. God is a law unto himself. His own character is the measure of what goodness is. In that sense, God can't ever fail to be good because God can't ever cease being God. He cannot be God and not be God at the same time. You know, if he were somehow to not be good, it would mean he would not be himself, and he can't be other than himself. Uh, Put it a little differently, whatever God is, 
That is what is good. God is the measure of goodness. Too often people have a low opinion of God because God appears not to measure up to what we think is good. But who are we to say to the infinite creator, you have to measure up to my finite and limited understanding of what goodness should be? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God, says Paul in Romans 9. Now, we shouldn't try to measure God by our standard. Rather, we are to be measured by his standard. When the Bible says that God is good, it's saying more than that he is morally good. It, it's saying and, and more than just that he is consistent with himself because the, the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word that's used in this text here is the word tav or tov, uh, and it includes the idea not only of moral goodness, that certainly that is included, but it includes uh, the idea of something that is beautiful, something that is delightful, something that is pleasing, something that is satisfying, something that is precious, something that is pure. Uh, you know, Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, as if the Lord were like a, a delicious meal that you set into, you know. Uh, what makes a meal good? Well, the first thing that makes a meal good is that it looks good. There's a saying among those who are involved in the culinary arts that you uh, eat first with your eyes. And if something looks good, uh, then it becomes appealing to you, and then you hope it also tastes good. And the psalmist is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's, his goodness is more than just his morality. It's, it's his beauty. It's his, uh, uh, his uh, delight, the fact that he is a source of delight, that he's pleasing and satisfying and, and precious and pure. 36 verse 8 says, they feast, that is the righteous, feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. There's a river that flows from God and it's a, a delightful river because it comes from God. It is an expression of who God is. He is a delightful God. The righteous are said to delight in God's law. They delight in his works and they, they long to, to gaze upon his beauty. Remember Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I asked, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He's beautiful. That's part of his goodness. He's something to be delighted in, something to be tasted and experienced because he is so beautiful and wonderful. Psalm, Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so, my, so pants my soul for you, O God. You know, on a hot day, cold drink, cold refreshing water from a, a mountain stream, uh, you can understand why a deer would like it. We would like it as well. Uh, uh, a mountain stream, cold fresh water when you're hot and dry and thirsty, uh, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my heart pants for you, O God. It's a, he is a delight. He is a source of pleasure, a source of beauty, a source of satisfaction. You know, if, if you don't know 
the, the beauty of God's goodness. And if your heart is not drawn to him in love, then perhaps you have too high an opinion of your own goodness and really haven't yet grasped the wonder of the gospel that, that Christ has come down. <laughs> he has come down to lost sinners to seek and to save the lost. We heard a psalm this morning that prayed for, for God to come down and, and defeat our enemy and give us victory. And that psalm, that prayer was, was answered at, at Christmas when, when Christ came down into the world to, to defeat our enemy and to give us victory and, and to do that for people who are undeserving. Certainly when we, when we recognize our own sin and our, our own guilt before God, the fact that we don't deserve the least of his kindness. What is man but a breath and he's, he's gone. We're, we have sinned against God, sinned against his holiness in thought, word, and deed again and again. And yet he has come down and he has rescued us. He has saved us. That's the goodness of God. That's the beauty of God. That's the wonder of his grace. And when we see that, we see his goodness. But God isn't merely good. Our text goes on to say, God does what is good. God does good. You are good and you do what is good. Now that is particularly significant here because the, the psalmist who is confessing this has been afflicted. We don't know how he has been afflicted, but he has been suffering. And he attributes this suffering as having come from God and said, it was good for me to be afflicted. You did this, God. This was part of your sovereign plan for my life, and, and your, the, the suffering that you sent was good. Now, how can that be? Is he some kind of masochist who uh, takes pleasure in, in pain? No, he recognizes the suffering he endured was good because... Uh, uh, it comes from God, and because it, uh, it serves a good purpose. Uh, when, when it says that uh, God does good, it means, of course, that everything God does is expressive of who he is. God acts in a manner consistent with his character. Uh, there's proverbs in the Bible or aphorisms in the Bible, you know, a good tree produces good fruit and a, a bad tree produces bad fruit. Well, God is the, the goodest tree that there ever was, and everything that he does is an expression of who he is, and in that sense, uh, uh, he is good. Uh, we, on the other hand, are sinful, and because we are sinful, we, we are unable to do good apart from his uh, grace and his saving mercies. Remember those uh, words from Jeremiah 13, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? And also, you can, do, can you do good who are accustomed to do evil? No, if, if we are born with an evil nature, inclined by nature to hate both God and our neighbor, we're, we're unable to do good. But God is good, and therefore everything God does is good. And uh, therefore, uh, he does good. But how can that be? The world is full of evil, isn't it? There's, there's lots of evil things in the world. And we also confess that God is in charge. 
God works all things according to the counsel of his own will, Ephesians 1. In Isaiah 45, God says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. How can it be that if God does all these things, he's still good? Well, when the Bible says that God does good, the primary meaning is that God, everything that God does serves a good purpose. In fact, it serves the best purpose. It, it, for, it serves the highest purpose that there is in all the universe, in all creation. What is that purpose? Well, you got a clue last Sunday night if you were here and listened to uh, Reverend Lubber's uh, sermon. He talked about uh, uh, the highest good, and uh, that is the glory of God. You know that the Bible tells us, uh, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, or 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11 says, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's saying you've received a gift and that gift is for you to use to serve other people. And as you use your gift to serve other people, God is glorified through Jesus Christ because God, has, by his grace, enabled you to, to receive this gift, <laughs> whatever abilities you have. He's given you the opportunities to use them. And when you do what he has given you to do, when you fulfill the purpose he has for your life, then he is glorified through it. The glory of God is the greatest good. Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Romans 11, verse 36, To him be the glory forever. When we have a vision in Revelation of uh, the saints in heaven, what are they doing? They're giving glory. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever, says uh, uh, John at the beginning of his uh, uh, letter, uh, the Revelation at the end of the Bible. Then uh, the saints in heaven also are casting down their, thro their, thro their crowns and, and giving praise and honor and glory to him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, uh, giving glory to God. They do it again and again and again, over and over. That's the chief end of man. I believe Reverend uh, Lovers uh, paraphrased the Westminster Catechism last Sunday night. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, the creation brings God glory. Isaiah 43, verse 7, he says he created all things. He created us. He created all things for his own glory. And you know that when you see the creation, when you see the beauty of it, the wonder of it, uh, your thoughts uh, aspire to uh, think of the one who created it. And you say, praise God for the, the beauty of his handiwork. The heavens declare his glory, the firmament his power, how awesome is his name in all the earth. But not only is creation for the glory of God, salvation is for the glory of God. He doesn't save us merely for our own sake. Certainly he wants us to experience joy and happiness and peace and honor and so forth. He wants to see us uh, set free from the power of sin, but 
when he does it, he does it for his own glory. In Ezekiel 36, God makes uh, lots of promises about our salvation, how he's going to come and uh, cleanse us and wash us and sprinkle us and put a new heart within us and put a new spirit within us and we're going to bring forth fruit. And he says in uh, Ezekiel 36, uh, uh, not for your sakes, but to vindicate my own name. In other words, for my own glory. That's why he's doing it. Think of the familiar words of Psalm 23, verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? For his name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me for his sake, not for my sake, not, not just for me, but because as he does that for me, he receives the honor and the glory. When Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer, he summed it all up by saying, I have brought you glory on earth in all that I said and did. God always acts for his own glory. If he did anything for any other reason than his own glory, he would be doing something less than perfectly good. But he can't do anything less than perfectly good because goodness is what he is. He is good and he always does good, which means he always acts for his own glory. And we must learn to measure goodness not by what we think is good, but what brings glory to God and uh, not by what we uh, like or feel. The psalmist here says his afflictions were good because affliction uh, uh, made him uh, turn to God and uh, therefore brought glory to God. The boys and girls, I'm sure, know the story of uh, Joseph, sold by his wicked brothers into slavery in Egypt. For 13 years, Joseph was a slave. His life was bitter and hard. Not only hard work, but hard work in a strange land where he had to learn a new language and where he didn't have any friends or family. He had to start to with nothing, and it was a difficult life. He said to his brothers later on, you meant it for good, for evil, but God, God meant it for good and for the saving of many lives, and through it all, God was glorified. The man in the New Testament in the Gospel of John who was born blind, why was he born blind? Jesus says, for the glory of God. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, got sick and died. And Jesus said, this is for God's glory. This is for God's glory. Lazarus' death was painful for him, for his family, and they suffered greatly. He was in the tomb four days before Jesus finally showed up. But through it all, God was glorified and many people became believers. In the end of the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples after his resurrection, and he uh, makes reference to the kind of death that Peter would die by which he would glorify God. The kind of death by which he would die which would glorify God. Uh, if uh, extra-biblical sources are correct, Peter was 
crucified, uh, crucified upside down. And uh, painful experience, to be sure, a horrible experience. But God was glorified through it because Peter accepted it. He didn't deny the faith. He was faithful to the end, and that's only possible by the grace of God, the strength that God gives, and so God is glorified through it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. He went through some really hard times. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, it served a good purpose. It, it taught them, don't trust in yourselves, don't trust in your own strength, trust in God who raises the dead. And they put their trust in God, and when they put their trust in God, God helped them. And God was glorified. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Hasn't that been your experience again and again in the past? You who love the Lord, you were going through hard times, you prayed, the Lord helped you, and you, you gave thanks to him, and you praised him. You gave glory to him because he heard your prayer. He answered your prayer. Romans 5 says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. We're not put to shame because in all of this, God's love is manifested, and as God's love is manifested, as we are sanctified through suffering, God is glorified in us and through us. James has the same message at the beginning of his epistle, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And when you are perfect in your faith and complete and lacking in nothing, having gone through these various trials, God will be glorified because he will be the one who saved you. He will be the one who gave you the strength. He will be the one who answered your prayers. Paul writes to the Romans those familiar words, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good because all things work together for his glory. Our salvation works for his glory. Even the damnation of the wicked brings glory to God. This is something that is difficult to understand, but this is Paul's message in Romans 9. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory? 
he endures the wicked, destined for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory to his vessels of mercy, whom he has prepared beforehand for glory. Now, in this, we kind of bump our noses against the incomprehensibility of God. This is almost too much for us to take in. There are things that surpass human understanding, but we must be content to to understand that indeed God works everything together for his glory. Even our suffering, our pain, our our, uh, many uh, difficulties, God is using them to sanctify us. He's using them to draw us closer to himself. He's uh, doing it so that he has a people prepared for glory who will experience the beauty of his glory. He created us not because he wants to be glorified as if he has this craving, this selfish need to be glorified. He created us so that we would see how glorious he is and rejoice in his glory. He knows that his glory is good. It's the greatest good. And he wants us to know it. He wants us to see it. He wants us to experience it. He wants us to celebrate it with him and to celebrate him because he is so glorious. Therefore, he created the world for his own glory, that the world may know his glory and experience his glory and rejoice in his glory because it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's it's satisfying, it's pure, it's it's fulfilling. It's everything that we we need and want and, and will enjoy forever. And because it's infinite, we'll never grow tired of it. You know, Satan works very hard to get us to call evil good and good evil. God is good and does good, but Satan wants you to think God is evil and God does evil. And Satan wants you to think that everything that God prohibits is good and everything that he allows or commands is evil. You see that right at the very beginning of creation. God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He uh, Put a, put a fence around us, as it were, and said, don't eat that fruit. And Satan came and convinced Eve, no, that eating from that tree is not bad. Eating from that tree is good. And she was convinced that indeed it was good to eat. That's what God wants you to think about lust. That's what he wants you to think about pornography, about fornication and adultery. That's what he wants you to think about uh, greed and avarice and cheating and stealing and lying. He wants you to think that those are good things that you need in order to get ahead, in order to have a happy, fulfilled life. God said, no, those are evil. God is good. What God does is good. What God commands is good. It's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's pure, it's delight to the eyes, a a delight to be experienced. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You have to ask yourself, what is the final authority for your life? At the time of the Renaissance, uh, man began to question revelation as the ultimate authority said, no, the mind of man is the ultimate authority. The man is, is able to measure all things and judge all things. Of course, that wasn't new in the Renaissance. That's what uh, the temptation was all about in the Garden of Eden, where uh, God says one thing, and we uh, make up our own mind to do something else. No, 
What is your final authority? Is it your own mind, your own likes, your own dislikes, or is it your Creator who speaks to you in His Word and tells you what is good and shows you what is good by what He is doing? Job's wife saw what God was doing, and she came to the opinion that God wasn't good and that God was not doing good. And she told Job, you ought to curse God because of what he is and what he is doing to you. But Job had better sense. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from his hand and shall we not receive evil? But he's saying there is even the evil that we've received from God serves a better purpose, serves an ultimate purpose. It serves his glory, and indeed, we know what's going on behind the scenes. Job didn't know about the conversation between God and Satan that you and I know about when we read the opening chapter of, of Job's And we see how God used all of this to bring himself glory, and how in the end, Job ended up with so much more than he ever had before. So, again, as God does everything for his glory. It's not to our hurt. <laughs> it's to our good and to our blessing because as we persevere in faith, he uh, gives uh, abounding blessings. You might wonder, how can I be sure? How can I be sure that God is good and does good? Well, not only because the Bible affirms it over and over and over again, but because we see that God did good for you when he sent his son Jesus to save lost sinners. Paul writes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? We can trust this God. We may not understand all that he does, but we can trust him because we know that he loves us. He showed his love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, and having given us his son, we know that he'll give us everything else that we need. Fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more your heavenly Father who is good and does good will give you good things if you trust him, if you trust him and follow him. And if he says it's good, if he does it, then it is good. Let us go into this new year saying, indeed, to God, you are good and you do good. Whatever you do is good because we know it serves the highest purpose of it all. It serves your glory. And your glory is something that we can delight in and will, by grace, delight in forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you are good and that you do good and you have done good for us in order to show forth your glory. And we pray that you would be with us in the years ahead to enable us to confess with the psalmist that you are good and always do good. Amen.